you'll turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15 as we continue our study through Matthew's Gospel this Lord's Day. Today we'll be looking at Matthew 15 verses 1 through 20. Last week we looked at the second part of Matthew 14 and we talked about the nature of true faith. What does is, what is authentic faith look like? We talked about faith in times of trouble as the Disciples found themselves there on the boat, uh, worried, anxious. We talked about our need to fully place our faith in Jesus Christ. And today we're going to talk about the nature of true religion. What, what is religion really supposed to look like? What is it truly? And then next week we'll talk about the nature of true, the true kingdom as we continue to walk through Matthew's gospel. Let me read to you uh, Matthew 15 verses 1 through 20 and then pray for our time in God's word today. This is what the Holy Spirit says through Matthew, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 15. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly fathers has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you still, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart, Come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Let me pray for our time in God's Word this morning. Father, I pray in these moments to come that Your Holy Spirit would do a work in our church this morning. Lord, I am mindful that, that I can say some things, but, but I'm not going to do any work. Lord, that people could hear some things, but, but they're not going to do any work. That apart from Your Holy Spirit, not much is going to get done this morning. But Lord, we invite Your Spirit to come, and for those of us who are believers, to indwell us, and for those who have yet to place their faith in Christ, we pray that Your Spirit would convict them and draw them to repentance and faith. We pray that Your Spirit would teach us, help us to understand Lord, I pray this morning that, that we perhaps would repent of the wrong attitudes and beliefs we've had. That, Father, perhaps we would come to a better understanding of the Gospel. That we would understand that we, we never move past it. We need it every day in our lives. And we pray that it would be clear this morning. 
as we walk through this passage. It's in Jesus' name that we ask these things. Amen. Well, as uh, Lewin mentioned earlier, today we're, we're looking, and as you can see from the title of our sermon, at the nature of true religion. Is there a difference between being religious and being a follower of Jesus? And I would say there, there certainly is, although I think religion has gotten a bad name. And we've kind of thrown out the baby with the bathwater, so to say. Uh, if you are on any social media sites or, or on the Facebook or any of those things, uh, over the last couple weeks you have probably seen a, a video pop up entitled, Why I Hate Religion But Love Jesus. It's a video that was placed on the internet not even two weeks ago, January 10th, uh, by a 22-year-old young man named Jefferson Bethke in Seattle, Washington. And, and in this video, he's basically sharing about why uh, the church has gotten it all wrong and, and why he loves Jesus, but not all these things about religion and about the church. And, and his message has spread. In fact, in less than two weeks, it's already gotten all, over 16 million hits on this video. Uh, what he's saying seems to resonate with many of us who perhaps have gotten a bad taste of the church, a bad taste of religion. There are things that, that we don't like about organized religion. And so Bethke is just expressing what so many feel, which is what some people have said to me. Things like, well, well I love Jesus. I just don't love the church very much. Now, I don't have a problem with Jesus. I just have a problem with religion. And yet, when we come to the Scriptures... We find that that doesn't quite resonate with what Jesus is talking about. Surely there is false religion, and we'll look at that today. Uh, there are false teachings, and we'll see some of those today. Uh, but there is such thing as true religion. What, what is it that Christ has called us to, compelled us to? He, he has called us as bodies of believers to gather for a purpose. It's not sufficient for us just to be lone ranger Christians and go out there and do our own thing. Uh, There's a purpose for this body. Uh, we celebrate it today... Ella's baptism, there's a purpose to that. There's a reason we just don't take someone down to the creek in private and baptize them. There's a purpose to us doing that together as the body. There's a purpose when we come together and celebrate the Lord's Supper and come to the Lord's table. As a body, it's not sufficient for me to pull in the gas station and get some juice and crackers and just do that on my own. There's a reason. There's true religion. And we'll look at that today and Perhaps one of the easiest ways to understand what true religion is is to understand what it's not. And, and we'll see that as we look through the text. The, the first thing we'll look at is this, that, that true religion is based on God's Word and not man's Word. Now, one of the first things you see in this text is, is the setting. You've got the Pharisees and the scribes coming to Jesus. At other points in the Gospel so far, we've seen this happen. We've seen the Pharisees, we've seen the scribes. This is only the second time we've actually seen them together coming. And it's the first time in Matthew's Gospel that we have this designation that they are from Jerusalem. And that's significant. It's significant because we've moved beyond Jesus' teaching and just kind of offending people who were standing by. And we're now at a point where there have been those sent from Jerusalem. They've come to investigate Jesus. Perhaps their mission is to come and to stop Jesus. Jesus is teaching things that don't, don't really go with what they think He should be teaching. They want to put an end to this. He doesn't seem to have a very high regard for a lot of their traditions and regulations, and we'll see some of that this morning. And so, this group has come, and they're very upfront about why they're there. Verse 2, they say, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? 
For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Now, kids, least of you, any, go, any of you go home today and say, well, mom and dad, disciples didn't wash their hands when they ate. Shouldn't have to wash my hands when I eat. You, you will be a heretic and a blasphemer and your parents will call down judgment on you. That, that, that's not the context of this text. And in fact, when we talk about hand washing today, it's, it's rather become an obsession in our culture. Uh, you can walk into pretty much any public building and there's 18 different bottles of antibacterial this and that. We're, we're kind of germ-phobic. That, that's a recent phenomenon. Uh, really, in the last hundred years, we've figured out germs and what they do. You go back to this day in which Christ is speaking here, and, and none of that was known. People weren't worried about germs on their hands when they ate. This is not a matter of personal cleanliness. It's also not a matter of obedience to the Scripture. In fact, Jesus, uh, in His rebuke to them, doesn't even uh, address what they say because they're not even talking about that which is in the Scripture. In fact, they themselves acknowledge it when they say, why don't your disciples keep the tradition of our elders? They're, they're pretty much acknowledging, listen, this is our tradition. And yet they treated their tradition like it was God's Word. In this case, what they would do is they would take their hands and they would have a ritual, a ceremony ritual, where they would lift their hands up and they would just pour water over it. And they had different reasons for this. And to understand that, you kind of have to step back and get a big picture and understand that at this point in the history of the Scriptures, the Pharisees and the scribes are teaching a lot of things that they really think are good. They really think these are going to help people get to God. That's their genuine belief, but they've added immensely to the Scriptures. See, what you see when you read throughout salvation history, the Scriptures, you see that God's people often wandered from Him. And, and there's consequence for that. Throughout the Old Testament, you see Israel wandering, disobeying God, and He would allow them to go into slavery. He would allow them to be brought into captivity. He would allow them to be conquered. He allowed even the temple to be destroyed. And so the religious leaders wanted, wanted to put an end to this they wanted people to obey, and so their notion was, well, well, people, they're, they're not really properly understanding the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. We're going to have to help them understand these things. And so they started adding these regulations, and the way they would teach people is it was an oral culture. And so they would say things repeatedly, and they would have their children repeat them back to them. And that, that's not a bad idea. For those of you who are parents, grandparents, you know, it's, it's one thing to say something to your child. It's a whole other thing for them to actually repeat it to you. You know, you tell them, okay, hey, don't, don't leave your shoes out by the door. Okay, okay, I got that, Dad. Okay, what did I say? Uh, we're going to watch football now. No, no, that's not what I said. Yeah. It, it, there's value in hearing them repeat it. Well, this was the form of religious instruction. And so, you can imagine, you know, a lot more of you would stay awake this morning if I said, repeat what I said, and we kept going back and forth, you know. It, it would engage you. Well, that's how people learned. And so they got to the point, actually, a couple hundred years later, after what we're reading this morning, they actually put all that into writing for the first time. It's called the Mishnah. It comes from the word that means to repeat. Uh, later, they added to it even more, and that together makes the Talmud, which you may have heard of in the Jewish faith. All these things in the Talmud are traditions, regulations, that, that in the beginning they thought this is going to help people better understand God's Word. But here's the key point. It wasn't God's Word. And in fact, much of it veered greatly from God's Word. And so in an effort to help people understand and maybe to control them and maybe to say, well, well, this is going to keep them from rebelling, what they essentially did was they, they come up with these laws and their regulations which Jesus said were just a great burden on the people. And this is one of them. 
this ritualistic ceremonial cleansing of the hands before a meal. And so Jesus disregards it. He and his disciples don't do it. Why? Because it wasn't part of God's Word, it was part of man's Word. And then, rather than responding to their critique, he, he points out that they've gotten everything upside down. He says to them, notice he doesn't say anything about hand washing, he answers them and says, well, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not give it to honor, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you've made void the word of God. So, so what's happening here? Well, again, it takes a better understanding of what's, what's the teaching of the day. And what was being taught was that you, you didn't really have to honor your parents so much like the Scriptures say. You see, the Scripture is very clear. Uh, it says in Exodus multiple times, honor your mother and father. It's one of the Ten Commandments. And in fact, your parents, you want to put the fear of God in your kids? These are a little Old Testament to them. Uh, it didn't just say, honor your parents. It says, if you don't, there's consequences. It said, in one case, if you, if you strike your parents, they can kill you. You really want to put the fear into them? You flip over to... Deuteronomy chapter 21 verse 18 and basically in that passage verses 18 through 21 it says okay if your parent if your children are rebellious and stubborn you can take them to the elders of the city at the gate and request that they be stoned to death you listening kids <laughs> we're going to haul you over to Bardsmart after this to the elders of the city God's Word was, was very intent on helping children understand as they're being brought up. You need to obey your parents. Why? Because you're under authority. And it doesn't stop there because your parents are under authority. They're under the authority of God. The whole point of it was to point towards that authority and our need to obey it. Now obviously in our context today, please do not walk out of here and the news cameras come later on and say, well, we heard you told everybody to go kill their kids if they're rebellious. I mean, if we followed to a T that specific passage, none of us would be here because our parents would have taken care of us a long time ago. We're all rebellious and stubborn. The point is not, go strike your kids down. The point is, there would be one that would be struck down for their rebelliousness. There would be one whose life was taken for rebelliousness, but it wasn't His, it was ours, and it was Jesus Christ's. The point of all Scripture points towards the Gospel. But, but there's a point to why Jesus is bringing this up. He, he's not just trying to throw off the Pharisees or scribes. He, he's not just throwing out some random, random rhetorical question because what he's saying is, listen, you're upset because they're not keeping, we're not keeping the, the man's law, man's commands. You don't even honor God's commands. He said, honor your parents. But notice what Jesus says. He points out a tradition that the religious leaders had called korban. Korban meant an offering. It meant to consecrate something to the Lord. And this is what would happen. Oftentimes, during this day, it wasn't that kids after the funeral sat down with the lawyer to just find out what they got. Oftentimes, children, when their parents were older, would go ahead and receive much of what they had. And then they would be responsible in honoring their mother and father to take care of their parents. But this is what the religious leaders, as they got off base, began to teach they could do. If you had something that you didn't want your parents to have, 
which the irony is they probably gave it to you anyways. And you didn't want them to be able to use it, you could just look at it and call Korban. And what that meant was you were establishing that as consecrated to the Lord and they couldn't touch it. The religious community viewed that as, oh, this is being set aside for the work of God and oh no, and those parents, if they were good godly parents, they would say, okay, alright, we won't touch that, we won't use that. But, but here's how messed up this was. Oftentimes, it was never used for the Lord in any way, shape, or form. It was just basically a way for people to say, I don't want you to touch my stuff and I'm going to keep it for me. I'm glad we don't have that problem today, by the way. That was a joke. Whenever will. They would do this, and they would totally twist God's Word. Because basically what they were saying is, well, we have some rules we've set, and one of them is a ritualistic hand-washing. And yeah, God's Word says this, but here's how we've worked our way around it. Here's the loopholes. They were looking for loopholes then, just like we do today. God's Word says something we don't like. Well, surely we can interpret that another way. Or we can always find someone out there to tickle our ears who will interpret it in a way that, that we like it. And that's what's being done here. And the point of this is, is that true religion, it can never be based in our man-made tra- traditions and commandments. It must be based and rooted in God's Word. And here's the key. You want to know how to know what God's Word says? Read it. I encounter people all the time and in conversation, they'll, they'll say things like this to me. Well, well, you know what the Bible says. And I, I've been to seminary. I've read it. I, I do know what it says. And so, yes, I know. My question is, do they? Because oftentimes when that's brought up, it's kind of brought up as this trump card of, well, you know, so, you know what the Bible says. And so I ask people, well, what does it say? Well, you, you know, change the subject. Or they'll come up with something that's not even in it. That's just kind of this religious catchphrase that they've been taught and they've repeated all their life that's not really rooted in the Scripture. That's where we struggle in the church today. That's why 16 million people are sitting down to watch a video by a 22-year-old who's basically saying, enough with the church and with religion, we just need Jesus. Because they've had enough of the church and religion to have enough of these man-made things that have crept in over time that have left a distaste in their mouth and a disdain and I think also there's an issue there that they don't want to be under the accountability of the church. And that's what you see the Pharisees doing. As much as they were religious leaders of the day, if there was something they didn't like, they changed it. And that's what we see happen here in this passage. Man's laws are not sufficient for true religion. We need God's Word. We also see that true religion is based on God's heart and not man's heart. Our heart, we know from the Scripture, is wicked and depraved. And our heart will mislead us. The Scripture tells us we don't even know our own heart. You ever find yourself in a situation when you say something or you do something and you step back and you probably don't say it out loud, but deep down you're thinking, why did I even do that? Why did I even say that? If you're married in this room or have been married in this room, you've been at a point in a conversation when you're five miles into it and all of a sudden you realize you're wrong. And you don't make a U-turn. You just keep on going. Because you're so set on, I've got to prove myself now, even though you know you're wrong, so you're trying to cover those tracks while making ground. It doesn't ever work. Why do we do that? Because the Scripture says, we don't even know our own hearts. That's how messed up we are. And so we start trying to establish true religion, and we're way off. We need a new heart. And that's what Jesus points to here. 
He says the Pharisees and scribes, they're hypocrites. And he, he quotes Isaiah, who, who during his day was faced with a rebellious and stubborn people who knew ceremonially how to appease God. They knew the right things to say, the right things to do. But notice what God says to Isaiah. The people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. What's he saying? In our context today, you can come here and you can sing the songs. And you aren't fooling God. You can fool everybody else. And we do. We come in, we smile, how are you? I'm great, I am too. Thank you, liar, liar, we're all liars. We, we, we pretend like we've got it all together. You're not looking at somebody who's got it all together. Nor am I right now. And Jesus in the Gospels, He makes it so clear over and over again. And, and that's what we need to get back to. And He's saying, listen, you can, you can do all the things externally you want to do. But, but your heart is far from me. You think about what Jesus says. We looked at this already in Matthew. where, he, and, and this is so... If this doesn't scare you to some extent when you think about it. He, he says, at the day of judgment, at the end of all things, we're going to stand before God. And there are going to be people who stand before Jesus. And who say to Jesus, we did all these things in your name. And they're not just going to say, we had a building... Or we put your name on something. There, you know, we, we cast out demons. We did miraculous works. We did all of these ministries in your name. And Jesus is going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. And that should make every one of us stop and think, do I really know him? Because we can do stuff on the outside and look like we do. And we can be on the head of every committee I can be in this pulpit and not truly know Him. And I'm sure there are many who are in pulpits that way today. See, the issue is, we, we can fill our plate with all of these self-concocted rules and totally miss out on the Gospel. And it happens all the time. And that's why it's so important as we read through the Scriptures that over and over again, rather than looking at the Pharisees and scribes like as if we're watching some Star Wars movie and in comes Darth Vader. Dun, 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 dun. You know, here's the bad guys, those Pharisees. They're the mean, they're, the, they're just the bad guys. What we need to do is read it and realize, oh wait, that, that's me. Because the inclination of your heart and my heart is to make rules. The inclination of your heart and my heart is to try to prove that we are good enough. It is to try to establish ourselves as we've accomplished something. That, that somehow when we stand before God, we're going to be able to say, well, well my good outweighed my bad. And, and that's not the gospel. And, and that's the last part that I want to look at in this passage is that true religion is, is gospel-centered, not morality-centered. Now by this, I don't mean that you know, your response to the message needs to be to go out and do something immoral. <laughs> but prayerfully, your response and my response to this message will be to consider, am I just trying to make myself a better person? Or am I trusting in the Gospel to transform me? And Jesus makes that point. He basically says, verse 10, calls the people and He says to them, hear and understand. I think... This is so illustrative because basically what's taking place here is 
Jesus has been confronted by the Pharisees and scribes, chances are they probably kind of surrounded him and, and they're accusing him. And maybe the disciples are there, maybe they're off in the distance. But here, after Jesus rebukes them, there's probably lots of people who've gathered around here. And he basically says to them, to all those people kind of out on the peripheral, hey, hey, come here. Come here for a minute. I want everybody to hear this. This is everybody come here. It's as if today he's saying the same thing to us. Listen, if you've checked out, check back in. Hear this. This is of eternal consequence. Jesus here is setting the record straight. He wants to make sure they get it. And He basically gives this illustration again. It's not what you take into your body that defiles you. Biology, you know, that's going right through. It's gone. It's done. It's what comes out of your mouth that defiles you. Jesus is not saying in this passage, hey, if you say a bad word, that means you're lost. What He's saying though is, you're going to know a tree by its fruit. Same thing He's already said in Matthew. He's going to say, if what keeps coming out is bad, indications are there's something bad in your heart. Heart hadn't been made new, it needs to be made new. See, we know a tree by its fruit. But not all the time. Walking this morning in the backyard, looked at a few trees and they all look dead. Why? Because it's winter. It's how trees look. They're dormant. But I know, because I remember from the spring, one of those trees actually is dead. And so when I come back out in the spring, two of them are going to be blooming. One of them is going to look just like it looks now. Why? Because it's a dead tree and dead trees don't produce fruit. You know a tree by its fruit. Jesus is saying here, what comes out is what defiles you, i.e. the fruit shows what's in the heart. I can't tell you the condition of your heart this morning. You can't go to a doctor in the world who can tell you the spiritual condition of your heart, but I can tell you this. If you've still got the one you were born with spiritually, you need a new one. Scripture says we need a new heart Ezekiel and his prophecy of the people, God says through him, one day I'm going to take your heart of stone and I'm going to place in it a heart of flesh. Is God saying there that we're born with a rock inside us? No. He's saying our heart, spiritually, we are cold and we are dead and we are distanced to the things of God and He needs to make it new. And that's why you see things like in Psalm 51, you've got David, if you're familiar with David, he's gone into great sin with Bathsheba, he's confronted by Nathan, and as he realizes the depths of his sin, he does not cry out to God and say, God, I'm going to try harder now. God, I've set up accountability and here's all the stuff I'm going to do and I'm never going to do this again, God. I'm never going to go there again. No, He says, create in me a clean heart, O God. David understands what you and I need to understand, that you can't fix yourself, that only God can. It is a work outside of your control and you can shape it and mold it and make it look fancy on the outside, but the inside is what the inside is. And only God can change us. And that's why religion has to be gospel-centered, not morality-centered. Again, fruit comes. I'm not saying that the gospel is then licensed to, well, do whatever you want and live however you want and, and do all these bad things. No, the gospel should make you want to live according to the gospel. That's how it works. The tree's good, the fruit's good. 
But if the fruit's bad, it means probably the tree is bad. And so Jesus gives this illustration. He said, that's what's going to defile a person. And if you ever wonder if the disciples fully got everything, they didn't. Verse 12, the disciples come and say to him, in response to this teaching, we think you made the Pharisees upset. <laughs> Again, the Pharisees aren't the only ones who've had this repeated to them all their lives. Anybody in that religious community has repeated over and over again, here's the traditions, here's the rules, here's what you do. Before you eat, you cleanse your hands. If you don't, you're just a dirty person. Nothing to do with germs. It has to do with, you're, you're going to make yourself righteous. Again, we do it today. We've got all these things we think, this is going to clean me, this is going to make me better. Doesn't. The Pharisees say this, so again, Jesus, he says, listen, not, not every plant is planted by God. And we've already looked at this in the parable of the soils, but it's good to remember, just because there's some growth in some way, shape, or form, that, that doesn't mean that the tree's good. Just because it's planted and it's growing, it doesn't mean that it's from God. And God said, there's going to be a day when I'm going to root up those that I didn't plant and they're going to be gone. And so listen, don't follow a blind guide. I mean, imagine we were to have some act of nature that was enormous and there was destruction all around us and earthquakes and just crazy things going on and and you had been told, listen, there's, there's one path out of town, and this is just going on kind of in this part of the country, but, but there's one path, and if, if you load up your family and your car and follow this guide, they will lead you to safety. So I'm going to meet up at such and such place, and you, you get what you can get, and you get your family in there, and there's, just, there's death and destruction all around, but you know if I can just follow this path, I can get to safety. And you get there, and there your guide is, and he's blind. Are you going to be hopeful? No. You're going to think, is this a joke? Everything's, this guy's blind. He can't see. How's he going to lead me anywhere? That's what Jesus is saying. Listen, if a person is absorbed in religion and external conformity and all these things, but they don't ever talk to you about the gospel and God's word, that's just a blind person. And again, that's important for us. There are all kinds of people in our day. They will tell you ten steps to fix your life and all these ways you can be a better person and how every day can be a great day and all these things to make life beautiful and wonderful. But if they never talk to you about Jesus, they're a blind guide. And again, Christ is saying it's the gospel, it's the gospel, it's the gospel. You follow them, you're going to fall into a pit. Peter says, explain it to us. He's like, God, you still don't get it. And again, he tells them, listen, if these things are what are coming out of your heart, and he basically goes through commandments 6 through 9, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, fault, witness, slander. It, again, it doesn't mean that if you tell a lie, that means that your heart is wicked and corrupt. It, it means that if this is the fruit of your life, that's indication that your heart's not where it needs to be. He says, that's what defiles you. And he basically closes this account by saying, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. And and friends, I think that the, the point of that is this, that eating with unwashed hands wasn't going to defile them, but it also wasn't going to make them righteous if they washed them. And if you're doing things in your life right now, do you think that somehow are appeasing a holy God and holding back His wrath, and somehow you're going to stand before Him one day and you're going to say, well, I was a pretty good person? Pretty good's not going to be good enough. 
And I've said before, for whatever reason, many times when I've asked people that, that question of, if you stood before God today and He said, why should I let you into heaven? So many times I get a response to the effect of, well, I've tried to be a good person. I've never killed anyone. I've never killed anyone's not going to get you into heaven. See, there's going to be a day when we stand before God and the only, only, only way we will be a part of His kingdom is if we've been made new and have a new heart through Jesus Christ. If we understand the Gospel and the simplicity of it, that one who was perfect and sinless died a death that you and I deserve that He did not, and that when we repent, when we turn from our sin and place our faith in Him, we receive a righteousness that we don't deserve, that was His, a great exchange takes place and the inside is made new. And when the inside is made new, it works itself out. But if you're here this morning thinking, no, I'm going to do this my way and I'm going to keep working on my life and I know what you're saying, but that sounds too cheap, that sounds too easy, I've got to work for it, I've got to earn it, then you can follow the blind guides into the pit. Then you probably sit or stand as offended as the Pharisees were when they heard this. You probably don't like it very much. Because you've been trying a long time to make your life look a certain way. And the gospel is, you need to stop trying. And maybe you've responded to the gospel, you've come to faith in Christ, you are a believer, you know you're going to spend eternity with God when you die, but maybe you, like so many others, still struggle to try to fix yourself or fix somebody else. The message of the gospel is that is a work only God can do. And I pray that He would do that in your life and mine as I close today. If you'll go ahead and stand with me, let me pray for us as we enter into this time of invitation and invite you as I pray if God has been working on your heart and drawing you to a true understanding of the gospel, that the gospel is not about good works and you being a better person, but the gospel is about placing your faith in Jesus Christ. It's about repenting of your sins and coming to know Him as your personal Lord and Savior. If you want to come and respond to that this morning, we invite you to, if perhaps you have, and, and you want to come and plan on celebrating with us as we celebrated with Ella today, her baptism, we invite you to come. Perhaps God has led you to be a part of this church family. It's not sufficient to be that Lone Ranger Christian anymore. You need to come and be a member of a church where we can keep you accountable and encourage you and walk this walk together. Maybe you just need to pray. Whatever it is, we invite you to come during this time. Let me pray for us. Father, I do pray as we go into this time of invitation, Lord, that You would draw those who You have been calling to respond in whatever way. Father, I pray that You would get through our thick skulls that we can't keep trying to be good people. That we need the Gospel day after day after day. And Lord, I thank You for the Gospel. I thank You, Lord, when I was 17 years old that You saved me. And I thank You for the work You do that we can't explain and that we can't do, but that You do in our lives. And I thank You for the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness we find in the cross. And pray now, Lord, that You would lead and guide us. In Christ's name, Amen.